grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, my dear friends in Christ. Not too long ago, I was talking to one of my friends, one of my friends who used to be a Christian, but now he isn't. So I asked him, why not? And he told me about the turning point for him. It was when he was sitting in a college classroom, a philosophy class, so a couple of years back, and his professor said something like this. If God exists, then why is there so much evil in the world? And for him, he said that that was when the light bulb went on. But I would have preferred if he said that's when the light bulb went off. If God exists, why is there so much evil in the world? It's a common question. People have asked it for hundreds, if not thousands of years. It comes up in Bible classes. It comes up in catechism. It comes up in conversation. It's a good question. But I think part of the problem that people usually have when they answer this question is the way that they think about God. I would venture to guess that most people see God as just a smiling man up in heaven whose number one job it is to push us along and bless us in business or bless us in our family ventures and kind of just make our life good in general. And so if that's your conception of God, then when bad stuff happens, when tragedy strikes, it makes sense that you're going to say, hey, what gives, God? Why is there so much evil in the world? Brothers and sisters, deep questions are not bad. Even some doubts are not necessarily bad in and of themselves, as long as you always let God be the one to answer your questions about God. Because God has things to say about why there is evil in the world. For our lesson this evening, we're way back at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. This is not long far this is not that long into the history of the entire universe, the history of the human race. And so far, what have we learned? What has God done? Well, in the first couple chapters of Genesis, we see God creates. He creates light. He creates water. He creates land. He creates vegetation and fish and birds and animals and even man and woman. And what is the constant refrain throughout that whole series of events? God created and it was good. It was good. What God created was good, because God is good. Remember that, brothers and sisters, when you're trying to answer the tough questions about God. God is good. And he's not just good like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that you've stacked in just the right way, and oh, it's just awesome. God is not just good in the sense that you watch a movie that has highs and lows and makes you laugh and cry and leaves you thinking at the end. No, it is hard to compare God's goodness with anything else because there is nothing like it. God is flawless. God is perfect. God is the best. And that is no understatement. And so when God, the perfect, the good person, creates something and calls it good, it must be pretty good. 
things were pretty good when God created it. Perfect, even. So here's the deal. How do you think God feels that it got messed up? God, who created everything to exist in perfect harmony and loveliness and goodness, how do you think God feels that there's evil in the world? God, who created Adam from the dust and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, who caused him to fall into a deep sleep, he took one of his ribs and created Eve and brought them together in the first marriage of the human race, a beautiful thing. How do you think God feels? when they messed that all up. God, who brought Adam and Eve into the garden and gave them two trees, one of which they were not supposed to eat from, and this was going to be their way of showing their devotion to God, their thanksgiving to God, by following a simple order, don't eat from this tree. And following that order was going to do them good as they worshipped God and increased in their relationship with Him. How do you think God feels that they disobeyed? that they fell so easily into the temptation of Satan, and that they introduced so easily the consequence of sin into the world, that is death, and it messed everything up. That's not God's fault. It's our fault. How do you think God feels about school shootings, about abortion, about abuse, about fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, not loving each other the way he wants them to, about kids not listening to their parents the way he wants them to, about the way we bicker and we fight and we gossip and we drag each other through the mud. How do you think God feels that there's evil in the world? See, the problem is, brothers and sisters, God does not have to answer for why there is evil in the world. He didn't cause it. We have to answer for why there's evil in the world. God is not taking the witness stand as if we should question him. We are in the witness stand because it's our fault. It's like we were standing there in the garden with Adam and Eve, with the fruit still in our hands, with a bite mark still in us. And Satan is standing there saying, Aha! Look how easy that was. All I had to do was tell you one or two simple lies about who God is and what he wants for you, and you fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker. You will always be under my power. I will always have the upper hand over you. You will never escape. Oh, wait. Satan didn't say any of that. In the text of Genesis, Satan doesn't say anything. Why not? Because God did not give him permission to speak. Because Satan is standing there next to Adam and Eve in the presence of God, goodness itself. And God God says to Satan, you shut up and listen. Because our verse for this evening is 100% directed at Satan. And God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you, you'll strike his heel. You see, with this verse, 
God is drawing a line in the sand. He's creating a, a, a conflict. Now, I would be willing to bet, well, I would wager that I have only ever encountered the word enmity in the Bible. I don't think I've ever heard it outside of the Bible. So if you're sitting there tonight and you're like, well, I'm not positive what that means, that is 100% okay. Enmity means hostility, being enemies. So God draws his line in the sand and he says, I'm going to make you my enemy. But he's not talking to you. He's not talking to Adam. He's not talking to Eve. He's, he's talking to Satan. God is good. God is perfect. God is furious that there is sin in the world. But he promises he's not going to direct that fury at you. He says he's going to put it on Satan. He says, Satan, I blame you. He gives us a promise the promise of the offspring of a woman. And there's there's no small significance in the way God says that because there's no human being that could rightfully claim to be Jesus' father. Sure, Joseph was his stepfather, but Jesus was born of a woman, born of the Virgin Mary. And the woman's offspring came to crush Satan's head to undo everything that happened in that garden. When everything went to pot, Jesus gives the promise of restoration. Because that garden leads us to look ahead to another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. See, when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew everything that was about to happen. He knew about his gruesome death. He knew about his betrayal. He knew everything he was going to have to go through in order to undo all of the sin that we had introduced into the world. But what does Jesus hold his hands and pray to God the Father? He says, not my will, but your will be done. God, if this is what has to happen to restore the relationship between you and mankind, let it be so. Even when Adam and Eve and we with them had sinned so much by saying, God, I want to do my will, my will be done, Jesus comes and in perfect obedience to God the Father says, Thy will be done. And so he goes. So he suffers. And so he crushes Satan's head. He destroys the work of the devil. Brothers and sisters, God is good but God is love. And God, as perfect and holy as he is, as angry as he is about sin, he made Jesus suffer his wrath instead of you. He made Jesus suffer hell itself so that you will never have to. You will never answer for a single one of your sins because Jesus already has. So tonight, brothers and sisters, I hope that you can rest easy knowing that God up in heaven is not counting your sins up against you, knowing that the deed is done, the promise has been fulfilled, Jesus has come and he has paid for your sins. And if Satan comes again and says to you, I have the upper hand, 
If Satan comes again and tempts you and tries to get you to believe that you're nothing but a weakling before him and that he will do with you as he will, I hope you remember what happened in that first garden when God drew that line in the sand and he said, not today, Satan. I hope you remember that this happened in Genesis chapter 3, the beginning of the history of mankind, when God promised that he would do something about the problem of sin. I hope you remember that God is not okay with evil being in the world, but his answer to evil was in Jesus Christ. And I hope you tell Satan to shut up. Because he has to when he's in the presence of goodness. God is good and God is love. And because God loves you, you are good with God. Amen.